Hey, uh, UFC fans, the Big D is back and better than ever as we uh, preview UFC 291 from the Delta Center in Salt Lake City. Before I bring in my UFC friend, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. Golf, baseball, football, MMA, you name it, we've got it. Also, check out the Big D podcast for all the audio listeners on Spotify and Apple. So, joining us... Uh, Fantasy Labs, Action Network, I think there are like 50 other websites you write for, uh, Billy Ward. So, Billy, uh, we're heading to Salt Lake City where um, there might not be a title fight on the line this Saturday night, but there is a, but there are a couple of interesting and fascinating bouts. Yeah, it's an interesting card from like a these should be fun fights perspective. It's a little bit weak in terms of I really want to see what happens and what this means for the division and the title picture, right? Because we've seen Poirier and Gaethje both get title fights in the past. They were both interim champions, both lost to Habib. I know Islam is not Habib, but we're kind of assuming we'd see a similar result. I don't even know that either of them necessarily care that much about a title at this point in their career. So obviously we're making this the BMF belt, but who cares about that, right? Like that's just a made up thing. If it makes it more fun for you, great. If not, I don't really care. This one's going to be a banger, though. I mean, we saw him fight the last time. Two of the more exciting, action-packed, violent fighters in the sport. Always fun to put them in a cage together, even if it might not be the most exciting thing in terms of titles and what have you. Yeah, seeing the last time Justin Gaethje and Justin Foyer fought, it was interesting because Gaethje tried to take out Foyer's leg, but then Foyer really hit Gaethje in the head. Yeah, and I mean, and that's kind of the game plan from both these guys, right? Like, Poirier has really, really strong boxing, good power. Doesn't really have a weakness, but in terms of a relative strength, it's probably that. Where Gaethje, you know, also a dynamic striker, but really works behind those leg kicks, which, you know, in theory should play out better for him the longer fights go on. Poirier did stop him in the fourth round of their first meeting. It's also interesting that this one's in Salt Lake City, even higher elevation than Colorado. So cardio is going to be a huge factor for these guys. It's the one thing that maybe tips me a little bit towards Gaethje just because he trains at elevation in Colorado where Poirier is in Louisiana, which is, I think, below sea level because it's a swamp. So <laughs> I can I can attest. I can attest living in Florida. We know what swamp what the swamp is. And if it's bad in Florida, I think Louisiana is like the most humid place in the country. Well, and that's what, right. Those are the two places that Poirier trains is Louisiana and then top team in Coconut Creek, Florida. So, you know, I don't know what his camp is like, if he's been training in elevation or wearing those silly masks that were super popular like five years ago or what he's doing. But the one angle I have on this one that I feel a little bit solid in is that the later this fight goes, the more I favored uh, Gaethje between the leg kicks and the cardio factor. I think that's a, a tip towards him, but it's a close line. You know, we always like to talk DFS and cash games. You're playing both these guys pretty much no matter what. Poirier, 8,300. Gaethje, 79. In his loss last time, Gaethje put up 48 points against Poirier. So, yeah, play both these guys in cash games. I could even see a case for stacking them in GPPs if it gets, you know, real violent. A couple knockdowns on both sides. Maybe Gaethje wrestles a little bit, but Poirier finishes them. So, Love it from a DFS standpoint. Just play both guys in cash. Don't overthink this one. Do you worry, especially with Gaethje, the fact that he's taken all that, I mean, maybe with both guys, that 
both guys have taken a lot of abuse, and the way they fight will lead to more damage than somebody who's a wrestler by trade. Yeah, a hundred percent. But I mean, you you slipped it in there a little bit sneakily, but that's both guys, right? It's not like it's not that one of them has been in way more wars than the other. They're both in wars. That's why we're calling this the BMF belt because they're that kind of fighter. Gaethje, I think, has a little bit more upside in terms of wrestling if he needs it, and. I've been slightly more impressed by his defense lately. Like in the Raphael Fiziev fought fight, he looked really good defensively, better than we've seen him in the past. Poye still kind of does Dustin Poye stuff. Not that he's bad defensively, but he's just so aggressive and so action-packed that he tends to get himself caught too. So if they were fighting other people who we couldn't say the same thing about, I'd 100% sympathize with that worry. But how do you pick a side on that? They've both been in so many wars, so what are you going to do? It feels like, I mean, Floyd did have a takedown at some point in the fight, but at some point in the first fight, but what I also remember, there were like, there were at least three eye posts in that fight. I mean, yeah, it happens from time to time in the UFC, so hopefully we don't have any of that happening, because I don't think we want this fight ending by a doctor or accidental eye post, accidental headbutt. You there? Billy? Yeah, I'm here. You froze up on me, it looked like, for a second. I don't know what my side was. No, I, I don't know if it was you or me, but... I, I can just hop right into answering your question, though, and then you edit it if you want. Um, that work? Yeah, because uh, thinking back to the first first fight, uh, Gaethje was docked a point for at least two... Pokes in the pokes in the eye pokes, and I'm thinking with uh, all these stoppages now, these accidental head bumps, eye pokes. Hopefully, we don't have any of that on Saturday night. At the very least, we can count on both of these two guys being willing to fight through any kind of accidental fouls or dirty play. We saw, you know, Poye. I think Michael Chandler like fish hooked him at one point, was trying to stick a finger in his eye, and Poye fought through that. So. At least we know that these aren't guys who are going to look for the easy way out if they do get poked in the eye or kicked in the groin or any of those things. Do you, do you think either one of these fighters stands a chance maybe at getting another title shot, obviously, with a Makachev looking strong in 155? I mean, I don't know. I don't think either of these guys would be great for Makachev. I would make Makachev a fairly significant favorite against either of them it would not shock me at all if the winner gets the next title fight, right? These are super marketable guys. Makachev outside of Abu Dhabi where they keep having him fight, not the biggest name, like he's not the biggest draw in and of himself. So no, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they got it. I think there's more deserving guys. I think there's a huge crop of up and coming lightweights that I'd love to see get some of those opportunities. But if you're the UFC and one of them has a great performance tonight, yeah, you book them in February or whatever of next year for the next lightweight title shot. But there's also a lot of factors. Makachev is already saying he wants to go up and fight Leon Edwards at welterweight. Volkanovski wants another crack at 155. Aljo might be coming up to 45, which does the whole thing with Volkanovski. So there's a lot of factors. It's too early to speculate, but would not shock me at all if the winner got the next title shot. Especially, especially because both of these guys fall for the 155 count. Now they fought, they fought different guys. I'm not... Didn't. Well, they, they both won the interim title against different people and then both lost the actual title to Habib. 
Yeah, no slouch. Maybe the goat. Right. No, nothing. Obviously, nothing wrong. Like since losing to Poirier, Gaethje has lost to Habib and Oliveira, and Poirier has lost to Habib and Oliveira. Yeah, maybe maybe the goat and one of the goats and the one. Right. I mean, there's no shame in either of those. I just don't. I don't see how a fight with Islam goes significantly better for them than the fight with Habib. Not because Islam is Habib as much as we all like to pretend, but because Poirier and Gaethje are now, you know, four or five years older. Islam's a little bit younger. Islam arguably has better striking than Habib ever did. So I, I think it would be relatively similar to those fights, but you never know. These guys can put anyone out. So um, we'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting. I, like I said, I'm there's so many young lightweights that I'd love to see get a push. You know, the Sarakians and Gamrots of the world over these guys. But I don't know if it's going to happen because these guys make better business sense. I mean, Makachev's probably a better, way better boxing than Khabib. I mean, he might keep it on the feet, but I doubt it. I doubt it. He he just wanted, he would just try and ground and just submit submit one or both of them. I mean, it's not even about needing the boxing to keep it on the feet. It's just having enough boxing where gaethje slash poirier wouldn't have a massive edge in that department right like you don't need to beat them with boxing you just need to not get knocked out well speaking of getting knocked out uh i think the co-main event stands a pretty good chance of seeing somebody on somebody on his um but with uh Two, uh, one guy one guy we've seen win the 185 pound belt and Coming up to two and five, and Alex Bahia, and then one guy who recently held the two hundred five pound belt. Well, literally half the division has held the two hundred five pound belt the last eighteen months or so. So, in, in a Mister Jan Blakovich, Blahovich, Blahovich. So, what do you see? Uh, what do you see between two of the best strikers in the UFC? Because I see this fight ending in a knockout. I don't know which way, though. Yeah, I mean that feels like a pretty safe one. You know, we were talking before the show started. This is a three-round fight, so everyone needs to keep that in mind. But the obvious comparison here is when Blahovich fought Israel Adesanya, right? So, you know, we know how close Bahia and Adesanya have been. Adesanya came up, challenged for the 205-pound title, lost a decision. My memory of that was that fight was pretty one-sided for Blahovich. I watched it back this week. There's a case that Adesanya won that fight. Obviously, Blahovich was able to take him down, but he didn't really start doing that till the later rounds. He wasn't just, you know, ragdolling him in the grappling. He was loosely winning minutes in the grappling. And the big difference is that Blahovich was just so much bigger than Adesanya. I don't know how much bigger he is than Pahea. Pahea is just a massive human. It doesn't make even a little bit of sense that he was ever, ever able to make 185. He's How in the heck did the hair make 185 against Izzy? Because Izzy looked like Izzy looked skinny at 185. The hair looks like he's bigger than me. Yeah, I mean, and Pahea never had an issue making 185. He was never like, oh, he missed weight. He's got to sacrifice some person. None of that. He always made it. But I think he'll he'll be just as good at 205. Just a huge person. And Blahovich is 40 years old. So even if he's a little bit bigger, he probably doesn't have the strength advantage that he had over Adesanya. So it's going to be interesting. Obviously, you know, conventional logic would say Pahea is pretty heavily favored in the striking, and you would imagine that Blahovich has a pretty heavy grappling advantage. I don't think it's that simple. Blahovich can obviously strike a little bit, big power himself, and I think Potan's been getting a little bit better in the grappling. He's training with Glover Teixeira. He's working on that stuff. 
and he's just so big and strong. Like we see it with Derek Lewis all the time. I don't know if Derek Lewis has ever been to a jujitsu class, but Derek Lewis is strong enough that he can just stand up. And maybe Alex Pahea is as well, where Adesanya wasn't. So I'm actually leaning towards uh, Pahea here. He's a slight underdog, you know, the cheaper guy on DraftKings. I think he has a ton more upside because the best path to victory for Blahovich is probably shove him against the fence, make it as boring as possible, where the best patch, path to victory for Pahea is just land a big shot and kill him. So, you know, when we're thinking about how either of these guys are going to win, from a DFS standpoint, Pahea definitely has more upside as well as a cheaper price tag. We'll probably be betting him, but I'm not sure if I'm just going to bet him straight at, you know, even money or slight underdog odds. Or, you know, do we wait for some kind of props, knockout, something else like that? Last point on this one, Blahovic really faded cardio-wise against Ankalaev in his last fight. Like I was saying at the top of this one, this is a huge elevation. Pahea picked up a fifth-round knockout in his win over Izzy, where Blahovic got 10-8 in the fifth round against Magomed Ankalaev in his last fight. I'm not sure how much that tells us, especially with it being a three-round fight. But I would lean towards Pahea being the slightly better fighter down the stretch if cardio comes into play. Not sure that it'll even matter. You know, you pointed out how likely it is someone gets knocked out. I certainly agree with that. If there's a knockout in two minutes, who cares about cardio? But if it goes late, I could certainly see Pahea taking over. How much do you, I mean, do you even compare Izzy fighting 205 to Pahea? Because Izzy's quite a bit small and behaves six four. I mean I saw the UFC two ninety one show where he walked around well he Bahia walks around like two twenty, two twenty five. Yeah. So Izzy's always felt like a skinny one eighty five. So I, I don't think the wake I don't I think the wake up will be a will be fine. I think mm-hmm. the added strength is only gonna make Alex Bahia a more powerful striker. I guess maybe the big question with him is how is he psychologically after Izzy put him on them? I mean, he, he's fine. So the, the nice thing about these guys coming over from kickboxing is they fight so much more in kickboxing than MMA fighters do that even the best guys get knocked out sometimes. Like, there's not those guys who've never been stopped at a high level in kickboxing, right? So he's been there. I don't know his record in kickboxing off the top of my head. I'm sure he's been knocked out at least once in kickboxing. I'm not worried about that psychologically. I do worry about how that strength is going to play against a heavier opponent in Blahovich, but I don't think he'll be at a massive strength disadvantage. You know, is he going to be able to bully Blahovich the way he kind of bullied Adesanya in the clinch? Probably not, but he's not going to look like a little kid in there. You know, he's bigger, taller, longer reach. Where if if you didn't know, if you were just coming in and sat down on the couch next to me, and I told you one of these guys just came up from a lighter weight class, it might look like it should have been Blahovich. And yet he's and yet he's been fighting at this division for a number of years when the has been at 185. But when I say the comparisons with the Adesanya fight, I really mean stylistically, right? Because we've seen how close Alex Bahia and Israel Adesanya are statistically, matchup-wise, style-wise. You know, the first fight they both got one takedown, which was rare for either of them. It was super close heading into the fifth when Bahia pulled out a knock knockout rematch you know Izzy's turn to get the knockout but pretty close up until that moment or maybe the other guy was winning so just in terms of style you know Blahovich has been in there with a guy who fights very similar to Alex Bahia whether that matters or not I don't know and again he's 40 years old now 
which is tough. This is a tough sport to do at 40. Like I'm 33 and beat to crap just from jujitsu. So, <laughs> you know, I, I tend to fade the older guys in fights like this when possible. It's just a better, it's just a better, I don't know if this is a cash fight. I think this feels more like a GPP fight. Yeah, if uh, you have yeah absolutely. I, you don't need to force this one in cash. It's one of those where if I make a lineup I like in with five guys in there, I still have Pahea. I'm not against playing him in cash. It will be a priority to get to one, or not a, one or the other. It'll be a priority to get to Pahea for me in GPPs. Cash games, not going to force it. I'm not going to necessarily avoid it, but like it's not one that I'm... It, it would be the sixth guy in my lineup. Let me put it that way. If he makes my cash lineup, he will have been the last one I put in there. Yeah, I don't. I feel like this is one where you want to have one or the other because I mean, if Blahovich, only from Blahovich wins. I mean, he was wasn't that great late against Akalev in New York. So I mean, it's. I think it's one one we want to see. I wish this was the main event. I wish this were five rounds because I think we'd like it more than. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course we. We'd like, you know, playing running backs in NFL DFS if they played seven quarters instead of four, too. But, <laughs> you know, obviously not the case, which is why it's not a priority for me. If this was a five-round fight, I would probably just stack all four guys and try to figure it out in other fights, to be honest. By the way, I just looked at Blahovich's scoring output. Last three fights, obviously, Glover submitted him, but 62-point knockout and a 27-point draw. Yeah, because – but – you know, look at how he did against uh, Adesanya when he actually had to go for a little bit more takedowns, right? 116 in that fight. Obviously, he had five rounds, so that means he scored 86 points plus the decision bonus. That was still almost 18 points around. That would be solid if he got 18 points around plus the bonus. You'd live with that at 8,200. I don't know that he will. I think it's going to be harder to take down Pahea than it was Adesanya just because Blahovich wasn't really, like, beating him with technical chain wrestling. He was kind of just bigger and stronger and took him down. So we'll see how that plays out this time. What do you think the two, the uh, light heavyweight division looks like? Because seemingly it's, uh, it's a box of chalk. I mean, we all, we, I mean, we, we heard what happened Derek Lewis when he, uh, towards the Achilles. So, uh, Jamal Hill, uh, Jamal Hill, excuse me, Jamal Hill tearing his Achilles. So, that's a bummer because uh, he'll never even got a real pay-per-view fight, so he's not getting a big payday. So mm -hmm. what do you think happens with the light heavyweight? Yeah, my guess is this one is a unofficial number one contender fight. I'm guessing Dana White and friends would have loved to have made this a title fight, but the guys didn't want to agree to a five-round fight in Salt Lake City on two weeks' notice, which I get, especially if you're then going to be promised a title fight by winning. So my guess would be the winner of this one, waits for Yuri to recover from his shoulder, which should be late this year, early next year. Fights Yuri, probably one more defense, and then Jamal Hill comes back. And then, in theory, if nothing else horrible happens, no more draws, no champions miss weight, nobody has, you know, some crazy scenario. Finally, once Hill comes back to fight the winner of Yuri, who fought the winner of this, then we'll maybe be at a spot where we really know who the best 205-er is. It would, it would, it would... Make a lot of sense for him. Okay, this guy's the real 205-pound champ. No interim belt, no draws, no injuries. They're straight up, you beat me or I beat you in the center of the octagon. 
Yeah, I would rough math. I would say we won't be able to say that till like Halloween of 2024 oh, <laughs> before God. we really know. I will say credit to both Yeri and especially Jamal Hill for voluntarily vacating the title instead of doing some silly interim thing and stuff like that. Like that's cool that they did that. I've always thought the interim titles were pretty silly in most cases, but when the actual champion gets hurt, that's the situation that would make the most sense. But that way, because Yuri did that, Jamal got to be the real cha- real champion. And now because Jamal did that, one of these guys will get to be the real champion if they're able to beat Yuri rather than having the division held up. So like that they both did that. Again, you know, earliest probably this time next year, we're seeing Jamal Hill against Yuri or one of these two guys for like the the unification of the unification of the all the titles that guys have had to vacate. So it's going to be all the so it's going to be like boxing would be like the IBF, WBO, WBA. Yeah, I mean it's just it's been a nightmare since John Jones and Daniel Cormier were ruling the division. Ever since then, like there's also an element of like the best athletes in the world who are this big probably play basketball and football rather than fighting, which means that 205 generally is one of the weaker divisions just because guys this big and strong and athletic don't tend to end up as UFC fighters for good reason. They, they, they end up playing on grass or on the hardwood and not the optical. I mean, John Jones has two brothers who are NFL players, and he might be the one UFC fighter who made more money than them, other than him and McGregor. If he was anything less than arguably the greatest of all time, both of his brothers would have made way more money than him in their respective sport careers. So, like, that tells you a lot. Okay, other than the uh, BMF fight, other than the co-main event, what are your other fights you're gonna be talking, you're gonna be watching and talking for DFS purposes? I mean, I mean, you made a Freudian slip alluding to it like two minutes ago, but we got the Black Beast coming back, man. It's Derek Lewis fight week. That's always fun. This is a big drop off in competition for Lewis against Marcos Rogerio de Lima. I think we've learned at this point in the Derek Lewis experiment that he's not going to beat the best guys in the world. You know, he's got losses to Gan, Spivak, Pavlovich, and Tuivasa. Tuivasa was a close fight, though. Like, either of them could have landed the shot. We were basically just flipping a massive, violent coin in that fight. But now that he's fighting kind of just a guy, are we going to get some vintage Derek Lewis? I'm not confident in that. I, I have serious questions about his motivation at 38, how hard he's really training. Is he really looking to, you know, continue to be a top athlete? But if he's even a little bit motivated against Marcos Rogerio de Lima, we could see some just classic, you know, he gets taken down a couple times, no jujitsu, F it, I'm going to stand up and then just throw them things at your head. And eventually one of them lands. We get a hilarious celebration, just vintage Derek Lewis. So I'm excited to see that from just a pure fan standpoint. Obviously coming into my GPP lineups with a ton of Derek Lewis because he wins by knockout or he don't win and he's super cheap. So The options for Derek Lewis are 100-plus points or, like, eight. And that sucks for cash games, obviously. Don't touch this in cash games. But at 7,700, big knockout. You obviously love that. So, fun fight for DFS. Fun fight as a fan. This is probably last shot for Derek Lewis coming off all the losses he has. If he looks bad here, I don't know what they do with him moving forward. But should be a fun one. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you what. I mean... Derek Lewis, Alex Payo, Young Block, this can make somebody a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of high upside guys like that on this card, though, which is kind of fun, right? We've got uh, 
Gabriel Bonfim, who put up a huge score in his debut. Uh, Happy Law versus Herberio. Those are both kind of weird fighters that can do crazy stuff and pick up some knockouts. Matthew Semmelsberger is like a poor man's Justin Gaethje or Dustin Poirier when he's just always in a war. Uh, Miranda Maverick just stepped up against Priscilla Cachoeira. I could see Maverick with a massive score because she has a huge grappling advantage. But Cachoeira is kind of like a female Derek Lewis. She either knocks you out or she loses, and she's pretty cheap. So there's just a ton of that on this card. So it's, it's a scary week for cash games, which, you know, not a ton of people play. I always joke with you, we're the only two weirdos doing it. It's a scary week. I might actually play a little bit less on cash this time just because there's a ton of fighters. I go, man, it's going to be a big score if they win, but they probably won't win, right? And there's no one that I feel super confident of from a cash standpoint other than, you know, stacking the title fight and Bobby Green versus the ghost of Tony Ferguson. Yeah, it's in Tony Ferguson. I mean, talk about Derek Lewis losing fight. The last time Tony Ferguson won a fight might have been back in the middle of film administration. Yeah, it's been a long time. And you feel for the guy because he was a legend. But, like, he seems, if you've seen any interviews with him, not really great mentally at this point in his career. He's 39, obviously not good physically. He also just had, like, a horrible DUI where he flipped his car over and it landed on top of someone else's car, like, during the training camp for this fight, which not a great sign that he was drinking and probably not good for his body to be in a massive car wreck shortly before a professional MMA fight. So obviously like Bobby Green's everyone's favorite play on the slate. I don't need to tell you that he's 9,500 or whatever. So yeah, he's a good play. How much do you, how much do you think you're going to end up playing? Because usually you, because usually how, how much do you think you're going to play DFS wise this weekend? It'll probably end up being about the normal amount. Like most weeks for cash, I just play all of the single entry contests they have, even if they're like 22 people, $5, which I think it still only works out to like two to $300 in cash. And then I make, if I really like the week in terms of GPP, I might make more lineups, but I've been taking some stabs at qualifying for the uh, head to head knockout challenge thing. And I'm just playing the $12 for those because those can cost you a lot of money real fast if you're entering three or four lineups because it's either first place or $0. So I'm not trying too hard on those, but usually enter about three or five of those, one single entry tournament, and then a lot of Rainmakers. I'm overwhelmed with Rainmakers this week just because there's so many guys who I already had cards for that that's going to be probably my bigger sweat than actual DFS. Yeah, yeah. And how much how much could you win with Rainmakers? I mean, just like with DFS, they have what are effectively cash games where the top X number of people score a flat rate. I've been doing elite contests for those where it's if you finish in the top 50, you make 100 bucks. But I can usually make a solid lineup for like 40-ish dollars based on the cards I already have, then do that. But some of the some of the GPP style contests, they'll have 5 or 10K to first place contests. I usually play those at the rare level, and it just depends on what cards I have coming in. I, I did a couple. I think I did a couple of rare entries for the Open. I just, I just wish you got Roy and Scotty Chef. Well, not just well. Roy was okay. I wish Scotty Chef and Shane Lowry made a few more putts. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, for those who don't play Rainmakers or know what we're talking about, you don't pay anything to enter the contest. It's just what cards you have. So that's usually how that usually determines my exposure. I'll buy three or four packs for most events, but I have a pretty big portfolio of season long cards on most of these guys. And it just works out that some weeks, you know, I have a Derek Lewis elite that I've had all year. So I'm going to make a lineup with him as a captain, because if he gets a knockout and he's your captain, you're cashing, right? Like he's 
solved it already. So it just depends on, you know, what cards I come into the week with, which determines my exposure. For example, rather than playing the top half score $50 contest at Elite, since I have Derek Lewis, we're going for the 10K to first contest. Just go for the whole shebang, right? Well, because he's either going to get you nothing and ruin the lineup, or he's going to score so much that you'd place pretty high in the GPP style contest and then make more money. The, the worst thing, and I've done this a couple times, is finishing first in the contest where everyone gets paid out the same as long as you cash. It was like two weeks ago, I had the first lineup where if I had entered it in the GPP style contest, instead of 100 bucks, it would have been like 500. So that, that feels like a possibility when you're using Derek Lewis as your captain, and I won't be making that mistake this time. What what announce or what potential type of fight going for the rest of the year are you looking forward to seeing? Because obviously with the calendar turn from July to August soon, it, there are some great fights I can't wait to see the rest of 2023. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, my most anticipated fights, or fight, I'll say singularly for now, is not a title fight. It's Hamza versus Paulo Costa. Like, one, these are just wild personalities, and the Twitter is already going crazy with them. But two, like, it's a really interesting challenge. Hamzat has had so much success by being physically bigger and stronger than people. And Paulo Costa is a big, strong dude. So that'll be a fun one. I'm actually weirdly looking forward to Sterling versus uh, O'Malley. I think that's a very interesting stylistic matchup, and we'll see how Sterling does in that one. Those are probably the two. Um, yeah, off the top of my head, I'm not looking at the schedule right now, so... You'll probably remind me of one that I go, oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Stinking Surf O'Malley, then uh, Shane against Amanda um, Lemos. Yeah. Why can't, we actually, have, why can't we have one of those fights on Saturday night? I'm actually very – I and partially this is my Rainmaker bias. I think Amanda Lemos might be, like, my biggest Rainmaker position. I have, like, three elites of her and a bunch of rares. So excited about that. She has huge power. I'm – legitimately excited for that one that's a good call uh i'm kind of scrolling the schedule here there's no main event announced for 293 in australia but we've got tai tuivasa coming back we'll always watch it i'll watch tai tuivasa fight anyone anywhere if simply for the walkout and all the other silliness that comes with it but you know we're probably going to get adesanya back on that card would love 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 it if ddp is ready by then don't think it's going to happen it'll probably be sean strickland which i don't really care about but if we got Adesanya versus DDP, would be incredible. I think DDP actually gives him a hard time. I'm not saying he's going to win. Don't clip this out and, you know, at, at old takes exposed me. I'm just saying I think it'll be a better fight than we've seen from Adesanya lately. You're saying that you're saying that Jones, uh, Miocis 295 doesn't intrigue your attention? No. We know how that's going to go. Come on. Come on, Dylan. If John Jones, if well, yeah, if John Jones is just half engaged, it's not going to last long at MSG. Right? is like a 96 year old fireman at this point. Like, I, I love Stipe, he had a great career. I'm not trying to denigrate what he has done, but he was basically retired. He's coming back, you know, they're giving him a big bag. This is going to be his retirement fund. I hope he enjoys it. I hope he comes out of it unscathed. I hope his wife and kids are there and he goes home and has a nice career after this. But, like, come on. He, yeah, he might go. Yeah, he might go home with his head hurting. I mean, listen, y'all, you kind of expect to have a headache after a professional MMA fight against anyone, much less John Jones. I'm not worried about that, but yeah, 
love Stipe, great career, you know, seems like a great guy as well, which is sometimes rare in this ridiculous sport, but come on. All right, Billy, thanks for hopping on. Hopefully uh, we uh, bring home the, ba- the uh, bacon and your Rainmaker's Colts will bring home plenty of bang for your bucks. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about cash game strategy throughout the week.